Good morning, I'm Daniel Budd, one of the pastors here, and this morning um, I just want to start with a story. I'm not sure, maybe you heard it before. There was a lady who uh, married, and then a few years in the marriage, she came to know Christ. And uh, since that moment on, she prayed for her husband to become also a believer. But she prayed and she prayed and nothing happened. So after 20 years of praying, her husband died. And she was so upset that God did not answer her prayer. And uh, she gave up faith. She gave up God. She said, I don't want to believe in a God that is not answering prayers. I've been persistent and I'm done with that. Five years later, there's a knock. She lives in Chicago and there's a knock at her office and somebody wants to see her husband. And it's a guy from the military. And uh, he says, I want to see so and so. And she says, well, my husband died five years ago. How come... You do not know. I'm very surprised. And, uh, and she says, uh, anyway, how can I help you? And he said, well, I just wanted to see how, how is he doing and talk about his faith. And she said, well, he had no faith. And in fact, I'm so angry with God for that because I prayed 20 years. And then he said, well, let me tell you how I met your husband five years ago. I was in the military. I was coming home and I needed a ride. So I was hitchhiking on a highway. And he picked me up, and he was going in the same direction. So he picks me up, and we stay in the car, and we talk about things. But I, see, I felt a prompting from the Lord to tell him about Christ. And I always said, well, maybe I will wait a few more minutes, because, you know, I don't want to make him uh, embarrassed or angry, or I don't want to just look like a fool, and you never know how he's going to react. So he kept, I kept resisting, you know. So, but the prompting from the Spirit, kept coming and say, you have to speak to him about Jesus. And he said, I, I said, basically, let me just, the last 30 minutes, how about in the last 30 minutes, I, I'll, I'll try to do it. And finally, you know, the prompting was so powerful that he said, I, I had to give up. And I said, gentlemen, sir, can I, uh, thanks for giving me this ride, but can I change the topic? And I just feel that I need to speak to you about Jesus. And so that immediately he pulled over, and I thought that he's going to just kick me out. And I was so scared, but he pulled over and said, you know what? I've been waiting for this moment for years. For 20 years, I've been waiting for somebody to explain to me because my wife is telling me something, and I don't know what she's talking about, but can you tell me about Jesus? And he said, I shared my faith with him. And uh, right there on, by the highway, he said, I want to be a disciple of this Jesus. I want to believe in him. So he received Christ right there by, by the side of the road. So he said, and he dropped me off, and I never heard of him. That's why I came to see, five years later, I, to see how he's doing. He gave me his business card. That's why I'm here. And the wife said, you know what? That afternoon, he left you there, and before he arrived at the office, he had a car crash, and he died. And she said, I, I didn't know what happened before. So she said, but I thank God that you came and told me this, because I need to repent of my hard, hardened heart of my unbelief and of my reaction and rejection of God's grace to me and to my husband. You see, you never know when you are called to witness to somebody. And you never know how God is going to answer so many prayers. We have people that we pray for. Others pray for people that we are meeting every day. And you never know how he's going to respond and how his grace is going to reach down into somebody's heart and change their heart. But you have to speak. 
this morning we continue what Ron started, you know, a few weeks ago. And especially, I think, in this Lent season, is good to just focus on these two stories, last week and this week, and just try to put them together a little bit. Last week, we looked at Nicodemus, an insider of the Jewish religion. And this week, John chapter 4 talks about a woman from Samaria who is really an outsider. She is outside of so many things that happen in Jerusalem and in Jesus' life and in the Jewish culture. So I just want us to look at the two of them, just to point some contrasting things between them. Nicodemus on the one side, he goes to Jesus. He has the initiative to go in the middle of the night and says, you know, can I talk to you? I know, Rabbi, that you might come from God because nobody else can do these miraculous things if he is not from God. But can I talk to you? Whereas the Samaritan woman, she is not looking for Jesus, but Jesus is looking for her in the middle of the day at noon. So these two people, you know, one is a Jew, a male, and the other one is a female, foreigner, from a different tribe, from a different country. And then the other one is a civic leader. He is a member of the Sanhedrin. And the other one is kind of an outcast. She is not accepted. And the other one is a Pharisee, very narrow religious group. And the other one is a woman who is not even allowed to worship in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. He has to go outside in the Gentiles' court. And the other one, the Nicodemus, is not only a moral and successful, but he is a prominent leader. And he has everything in order. And yet the woman is of dubious moral standing. Her life is not as clean. So although they have these contrasting things, and you may find more if you look at the two texts, there is something that they have in common. And Jesus talks to both of them about that. And both of them are sinful. Sin and the fact that they need grace is something that is common to both of them. And in fact, Nicodemus' sin is self-satisfaction or self-reliance, self-righteousness. He is that guy that is kind of perfect, you know, his perfect life, perfect education, everything works well in his life. And he is going to rely on himself to be saved. And Christ says basically, you have this problem, Nicodemus. The woman, on the other hand, she looks for satisfaction in her life with other men. So the word for Nicodemus is, you need to be born again. Very clear word. And for the woman, for the Samaritan woman, you need the Savior and basically, Jesus is saying, you need me. You need to know somebody different than those men. You need to know the, the man with capital M. You need to know the only one who can satisfy you. And that's kind of an evangelistic message, both last week and this week. You know, he is reaching down to people's hearts. So if you want to look at her, you know, she, or the Samaritan woman, becomes one that then, once she is meeting the Savior, she is an evangelist herself. But how would you define evangelism? I think if you just look at these two stories, it's very easy. This is a common, common thing or definition. You know, talking with others about our faith or your faith and about your walk with Christ. And that's what she is doing. You'll see at the end, the Samaritan woman. Just talking and sharing with others what Christ did for you and how he met you. But the thing is, in our culture, and if you ask anybody in Grand Rapids, maybe in your workplace or in your street, you know, they will say, well, evangelism is something that really can be so offensive, and it's like intolerant, you know, you show your intolerance, your narrow-mindedness. 
And if you do it, you might also be politically incorrect by doing evangelism, talking about Jesus. And maybe some will say, well, it's something that you should avoid. We should avoid. You know? And even in the church, we might, we might find people that will say, yeah, I am, I, I'm not sure about evangelism. It's not my thing. You know, I leave it to the professionals, and they do it, and I just let me, leave me alone. <laughs> but some of us might say, well, no. We think that uh, Christians, evangelism is something that Christians ought to do. And we all need to get better at doing it. We all need to learn how to do it from Christ. And that's what we are going to do this morning. He's going to talk to us about why and how to witness. And, and it's not necessarily, you know, he's going to give this title, but definitely, why do we do evangelism? Because we care and we love our neighbors. If you really love somebody, then you will talk to them about Jesus. And moreover, we want to become more like Jesus. That's why we do it. He was reaching down to Nicodemus, and to this Samaritan woman. If we are his disciples, then we have to do what he did. So let's look at this Samaritan woman and Jesus walk with her. How he is talking and walking and explaining to her how he is approaching her to bring her to faith in him, the true Messiah. The one that will give her satisfaction. First of all, four things about this woman. First of all, a woman in trouble. She's a woman in trouble, you know. In so much trouble. And it's, it's interesting that, you know, she knows that. You know, she's a woman, first of all. And he's a man. You see, uh, Jesus is waiting for her at the well. She's not looking for him. She's just doing her daily routine. And in the middle of the day, she comes to this Jacob's well, this place in Samaria. And she was supposed to be alone there. She came at noon because all of the other women usually come in the morning, and they gather water, they, they do it together, it's like a social club, like a, a knitting club, or this is called the water you know, drawing club, and they draw water together, and they go and talk, and they have water for the whole day. But she was not accepted in that group. She was different. So she goes alone at noon, because she said, I don't want to talk to anybody, I don't want to be seen by anybody, I'm so kind of you know, alone. And it's not supposed, it's not supp- I mean, it wasn't proper for that culture, for a man, especially a teacher like Jesus, to talk alone with a woman in the street. And you can see in this older picture, maybe it's uh, 100 years old or something like that, but in the background is Mount Gerizim where they have the, the temple, you know, that they worship the Samaritans. But he's waiting there for her at the well. He's thirsty, the well is there, and he's waiting for her to come. And I think this is a powerful thought, you know, just to think that what kind of a God do we have? How loving He is, you know? He's waiting for you and for me. He's waiting when you wake up in the morning to meet with you. And then at noon when you have lunch, He's still waiting for you. And in, in, in the evening when we lay down to sleep, He's still waiting for us. He wants to meet with us. What kind of a God is this? A loving God that says, I'm going to wait for you, even if you don't know it. And in fact, the thing is, she has no idea. She had no idea that Jesus is there for her. She had no idea. She just goes about her daily routine. And she is right there. And when, when she comes there, you know, instead of just ignoring or something, he just says, will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? Can you, can you help me? I am thirsty. Really, he was thirsty. The disciples were gone to get some food, but he had no drinks. And then she looks at him and says, Really? You know, she's really good at uh, social manners. She knows how to talk to men. You know, she knows how to handle men. And maybe that's why some of the other women hate her, you know, so much. But he says, you are a Jew. You are a Jew and you 
And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan woman. You are a Jew male. Don't you see that we hate each other? You see the Samaritans, they were part of this Jewish culture until about 500 years when the exile came, when they went in exile. And the Samaritans married and intermarried with the Assyrians and Babylonians, with all of the other Gentiles around. So they established Samaria as a place of multicultural kind of thing. They were not any more pure Jewish. So she is sitting there by the well and says, you know, we, we don't mingle. We, you know, we are different. How can you ask me, a woman? This is a picture from 1900, you know, at the well. And if, I'm not sure if this is the original well, but that's what they claim. It's kind of near. And you see how the well is done there. Jesus is thirsty and he's there and he cannot do it. I mean, this is a cross section, the next one. A cross section. And it, it, the well was maybe up to 100 feet deep. The water level was really deep. So you needed both a water you know, jar, but also a rope to, to lower it down and to pull the water up. So Jesus can, can say, you know, you, I need your help. You think I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to make conversation, but I need, I need water. Can you help me? Can you give me water? So, but she's a woman, and she says, how can you ask me? But then there's another thing, you know, she's religiously different. She's a Samaritan. She belongs to the Samaritans, right? An ethnic impure group for them. And not only that, they even developed a worship system on Mount Gerizim, on different mounds. They said, you know what? If we cannot go, because we are now tainted as an ethnic group, we are multicultural here in Samaria, we cannot worship anymore in the temple in Jerusalem because now we have to sit there in the court of the Gentiles. Now we are going to build a temple for us and a religious system. And they do. They have their own Torah, their own holy books. So they worship in this other temple. By this time, the temple was kind of demolished, destroyed, but they still worship in the ruins. And they are still hating each other, right? But furthermore, she's a social outcast. Like I said, she comes to draw water at noon, which basically points, most people say, that she was a social outcast. People were not associating with her. They were bad-mounting her, but they were not associating with her. She was kind of bad news. And moreover, moreover she was morally questionable, right? You understand if somebody says, well, I just, uh, you know, I'm at my, my, my second marriage now, I, but, you know, this is going to, to work. But she goes through this and she says, you know, what? F first one was just we married, you know, sweetheart from, from middle school, and, you know, we, we were just too young, too naive, you know. So we just we couldn't, you know, we had no idea what marriage is about. But then I met this guy, you know, and he kind of looked like, you know, older guy. You know, he had everything together. And, but then he, it was boring, you know, and so. But then I met the perfect guy, right? He was young, but also wealthy and educated. And so on, so on and forth, I, you know, I, I, just, I, I just found satisfaction, I thought, you know. And, and finally, I mean, when I met the perfect guy, he dumped me because I was imperfect, right? And, and now, you know, so I'm living now with my boyfriend. I had five husbands, and now I just, you know, I, I don't think in marriage anymore. It doesn't work for me. So I'm just living with my boyfriend, and uh, I mean, some people say that she should have been killed for that, you know, for adultery, and we don't know. Maybe the boyfriend was also married with kids at home, someplace in a different city, maybe. So she definitely is a woman in big trouble. And uh, she's a woman with potential. That's, that's the other thing. You know, Jesus looks at her. <laughs> There's trouble there. That's true. Trouble in everybody's life. But she has so much potential. 
And in a way, she has potential because she has nothing to lose. You see, sometimes the, 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 the woman with the biggest trouble, with the biggest distress, is the one that has the biggest potential. Because she has the best street smart skills, right? She's been to five husbands. This is the second boyfriend. You know, she knows how to handle people. She knows how to talk. She knows what it means to be a social outcast. She knows what, what it means to be rejected by the Jews, to be a Samaritan, to be a woman in that time. She's seen a lot of things. You know, she's been around the block for so many times, and she survived. She's still standing. And she has this great potential that Jesus sees in her. But she also becomes the greatest target of the devil. And I think that that's true for all of us. The more potential we have, the more attacks we have. If you are in the devil's pocket and he has no, no uh, kind of surprises from you, then he will do nothing. He'll just maybe leave you alone. But the moment you stand up and then he sees your potential, he starts to pay attention and starts to destroy everything that he can. Her reputation is ruined, right? Her reputation is ruined. There's, there's nobody in town who believes in her anymore. You know, when she talks, nobody pays attention. If she writes a blog or an article, you know, nobody kind of believes her. When she goes on the TV or something, you know, she just reports on something. There's, there's so much disbelief in her. She's kind of a discredited politician, sort of, you know, somebody who just is so messy and so muddy and so cloudy. And I think the devil still works like that with us today. You know, sometimes he starts and says, if I, if I can get this child to be abused when he is in the middle school, by the time he is a young adult, he'll just forget about God. What he will know is he will beat his wife and kids. He will be abusive too. If I can get his parents to use drugs, you know, while he grows up, he will be a, a drug addict too. So I, I'm just going to destroy him from the beginning. And if I get this lady to believe that, you know, because her father is not loving her the way she wants, this boy in high school or in college, you know, she, he really loves her, you know, so she, she should just, by the time she's a young adult, she'll have her reputation ruined. When she'll stand up later on, when she, it's so easy to ruin a reputation today, even by Facebook, right? By Facebook, people just ruin reputation left and right. It's so easy, what, the click of a mouse, and you can have somebody's reputation being ruined. And the devil still looks for that today. Yet Jesus is waiting for this woman. She sees in her so much potential. In fact, she's not only interested in her. She is interested in what? He is interested in what she can do for, he, for the town in which she lives. She wants to, uh, to launch her in this ministry, in this mission. So before he can use her, he must set her free. So a woman is set free. And, he, you know, this is the talk that he, he is, is set free from drawing water every day. Every day, she said, you know, I, I am drawing water from here. Every day I'm, I'm here alone. And she said, you shouldn't be alone. You should meet with people, talk to people. She said, I am going to, you know, be so tired, sick and tired to think that men are going to satisfy me. You know, that if I marry this guy who has more things or who looks better or something like that or less family to take care of, then he will take care of me. I'm tired of believing that my satisfaction comes from things that I have or people that I have in my life. And I'm, I'm even tired from seeking acceptance before God. You see, in Jerusalem, I cannot even go there. I, I'm put in the, in the lowest court. I, can, I, I, I see the temple from a distance as a Gentile. And here in, on Mount Gerizim, they won't accept me because of my reputation. So where do I worship? There's no place for me. Is there a God that accepts me? How do I do that? 
A woman needs to be set free from all of these fears, from all of her past that kind of is haunting her and makes her so ineffective. And then Jesus says, you know what? You thought that you would draw up water for me, and that's fine. You thought that I am a Jew, and it's not correct to ask. That's fine, too. But let me tell you this. I have something else. I have the living water that you need. And this water is the water that I give. And when I give it to them, it will become in them a spring of water yelling up, yelling up eternal life. What I can give is something that all those men that you are looking for cannot give you. All those things that you are looking for and satisfy your life, it cannot give you. I want to give you something stable. I want to give you a satisfaction that is beyond words, that is beyond circumstances, beyond, beyond people, beyond things. A satisfaction that lasts you forever. I want to give you something in within, within your heart, a new meaning, a new direction in your life. I want you to draw water with a purpose, to live with a purpose. I want you to have a mission. And then she says, sir, give me this water. Sir, can I have this water? Because I am tired of every day doing the same thing. I thought that, yeah, I know I'm doing the same thing. I thought that, well, I do have a family, sort of. And it's kind of comforting, but it's not satisfying. I do have a home to go with, and it's, it's warm. It's comforting at night, but it's not satisfying deep down in my soul. I have kids, and it's comforting to see them grow. And I have a grandkids now. But really, my ultimate comfort and satisfaction is not in them. And I have a nice car. I just bought it with a nice trailer. And it's going to be so comforting this summer to go on a vacation. But I know that my ultimate satisfaction is not in that. It's comforting, but not satisfying. So what do I do? What do I do? Sir, can you give me this water that you talk about? Is there something deeper that I need? This is one of the contemporary, you know, there's a church on that well. They build it like that, and it's a church, Eastern Church. And it's right in front of the altar there, and uh, they have the Lord's Supper around that well. And everybody, even today, they want to drink from that Jacob's well, you know, and, and just satisfy their thirst. But even in the Old Testament, the people of God, they have heard this. My people have committed two sins, the Lord says in Jeremiah. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And this was Jacob's well, but it still was broken. Because she figures things out. She says, I, I have to come here daily. And it does comfort my thirst. It does provide food for my family. I can use this water to wash, to clean ourselves, and to drink, and to be comforted. But it doesn't provide the ultimate satisfaction that I'm looking for. And then Jesus looks at her and says, you figured things out, you see. Even the people in the Old Testament, they thought that they can do these things, that they can just take care of themselves. But then he says, you know, can you go and call your husband? Just go invite him over. I will give you this water. You just bring your husband. I want him to have this water too. And then she says, well, yeah, you, yeah, my husband. You know, it's a long story. <laughs> but let me tell you, you know, this, this guy is a good friend. And, you know, when we have family reunions, I just have to say, you know, this is Uncle Louis, sort of, you know. Nobody knows where he's uh, related to. But, you know, I have no husband. I'm sorry. I just have a friend. But sir, just because you know so much about me, I, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, you know, if you are a prophet, let me, let me ask you this. This is a, a dilemma for me. Worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews claim to be the place where we must worship. 
is in Jerusalem. That's why they claim that we do not worship the right stuff. And Jesus says, yeah, you are right. The Samaritans, you Samaritans, you worship, you do not know. What you worship, you have no clue. So he's pretty honest about it, you know. So if your friend really is worshiping something that is false, you know, it's not wrong. I mean, Jesus says, you know, the Samaritans, yes, you just worship, you have no clue what you are worshiping. And yes, the temple in Jerusalem is the true one. But then he says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. There is a time when the temples are not important, when the blood of the animals are not important, when the priest, the sacrifices, everything else is not important because I am the temple, I am the sacrifice, and I am the high priest. I am everything to you. I can satisfy you. There's a time where the true worshipers will worship in truth and in spirit. And then she realizes, okay, this is something new. This is something sophisticated. This is a new teaching. And she said, okay, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to me. She tries to back off and say, well, this is powerful stuff. You know, what do I do with it? I know that Messiah is going to explain all of these things. And he is the one who is going to kind of fulfill all of those prophecies. And then Jesus says, looks at her eyes and says, you know what? I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am. That's what God told uh, in the Old Testament Moses. You know, go to Pharaoh and say, I am. That's, that's who he sent you. And that's when she gets it. She says, oh, you are. You are the Messiah. We don't know her reaction immediately, but what we know is she left there and she's on a mission. She left the water jar at the well. She left Jesus there when she understood who he is. And she goes back to her city, a city that kind of rejected her. And this is what the message is. They say, she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Come and see. Come and see. And that's, that's what we need to do, right? Come and see. And immediately, people come and see. And then they say, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Once we met him, once we talked to him, once we tasted and we saw Messiah, we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. What a powerful message she brought. Come and see. An invitation. Come and see. Taste for yourself. See if this is the living water. And they come and then they believe that this is the Savior of the world. And not only she comes to faith, but the whole, I mean, Many, many people in her town, Sikar. So what do we learn today from Jesus? That we need to reach out to people, but it's a process. So in one of these um, Alpha courses, you know, after like last year, about this time, we finished Alpha, and then we started a course called Intersection. And we use there one device. It's called Fine. It's basically, we call it the conversational funnel. And if you think about it, you can go home and just read Nicodemus, read the Samaritan story, and especially this story. And I just want to point to you a few things. So it's fine, F-I-N-D. And it starts with a fact. Very easy thing to, to say, you know, so like simple things. But this is a fact that Jesus said, you know, will you give me a drink? Just a fact, you know, will you help me? This is something easy, right? It's an easy question. And then you go deeper, an idea. And then he talks about a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then he goes deeper to a need, you know, and then she feels the need. And she says, give me this drink. I need this drink. I need it. Can I have this drink? 
And then it's a decision when she drops the jar, believes in Christ, and goes and tells to others, come and see a man. Could this be the Messiah? So if you see Jesus is patient with her, walks her to all of this funnel. So what I will challenge you for this coming week is just try to think of the persons that maybe you are praying for years. I know somebody in this church prayed for their daughter 17 years. And I said, wow, what a faithful disciples. Pray 17 years. And then God answers. So if you look at what, what kind of questions can you think of, you know, to, to, to just go with somebody, maybe a friend that is at work, you know, you start a discussion and you can say, hey, um, a fact, is your team winning? You know, you, you've, you've filled out the bracket. You know, how are you doing with the bracket or something like that? Or what do you do for a living? You know, what's your job? This is something that you discover, right? Or how is your family? Is your family doing well? Is it large family? Is it a small family? So these are just facts, easy to respond. You don't need to think about. But then you go to ideas, you know. And you say, what's your perfect vacation? You do a little bit deeper. You want more development, right? So what makes, you know, like Putin, you know, in Russia, a great leader? You know, you think, well, what makes, you know, somebody else a leader, you know? And we might say, what did you be, uh, why did you become a nurse? Why did you choose your career? What's, you know, thinking? These are some examples that you can just look at. And then you move deeper into a need. You know, you try to find something. You know, they might not need necessarily Christ, like, obviously, right? But we know that they need satisfaction in Christ in the end. But you start with another need that is more obvious. It can be, hey, do you ever talk to God about that? Maybe it's something, a situation in their family. Or you say, well, what do you think? What's the meaning of life for you? You know, how would you define the meaning of life, you know? We all have a philosophy. What's yours? You know, what do you think? And then you can say, what is your basic human problem? What do you think is the problem that we have? You know, is it pride or is it just international relations or global warming? What, what's your problem? What do you think is the basic human problem, human need, you know, that if you can fix, then everything is uh, following. And then a decision. You know, decision doesn't have to be, well, you have to accept Christ, you know. You move slowly. Maybe in the beginning you say, hey, you know, if you talk about kids, or say, hey, I have this book about parenting, you know, that it was really good. We, we use it in our care circle at the church. Do you mind? You, you, would you read a book? Do you want to read a book with me? Or maybe you can say, how about, would your kids join our musical? You know, maybe they have talented kids, and they talk about how much they love music. And they say, hey, um, we have a music here, musical, or something like that. You know, would you join that too? Or would you like to join Zumba, for example? You know, is that something that, you know, maybe you find out that they are into sports and they like uh, exercise, you know, they like to lose everything, or you know, squeeze everything except their smile. So this is a way for you to just, just use a funnel and, and say, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try and see what if I walk with people and I get them closer to Jesus and to his love because only that can satisfy them. Let's try to do this next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, for his mercy and love for all of us. We thank you for his passion for the Samaritan woman. And we thank you that this morning you teach us to, to love others just as you did. And to talk to them, to walk with them, to serve them. So may we be also little Christs, your faithful disciples, to all those who are around us and still are far from your living water, from being satisfied from the inside. And forgive us for looking for satisfaction in things that are perishable and that cannot last. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and receive God's greeting. The Lord who loves us and who uh, this morning encourages us to be loving towards others. He blesses us as we go from here with these words. May the love of God the Father and the embrace of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit 
be with you and guide you in this coming week. Amen. You may go in peace.